0: Hello, sales heroes. Alex here. I'm back. I am so glad to be recording again. A lot has happened since the last episode, namely empath. This was Sherpa's sales retreat in Santa Barbara. What a great time. I found it so energizing and so inspirational. Malcolm Gladwell and Seth Godin were keynote speakers. It was the honor of a lifetime. We had sessions from Dan Madsen, as well as former guests of this podcast. Anthony Yanarino and Casey Jackson. What an amazing experience. And we're gonna try and top it in 2022, so stay tuned. I also wanted to mention that we're bringing back Culture Starter. These are two days in-person sales training events that we put on hold because of the pandemic. They're back starting in St. Louis. I'll be there with the Sherpa training team, and I cannot wait to see some new and familiar faces. So, okay. Now to today's episode. So I was talking to my team about wanting to have a guest that actually understands how to create a strong and lasting sales culture, someone that was an innovator, someone that had the leadership and the passion and understood what it takes, actually someone that is doing it. And sort of unanimously, my team said, oh, you have to talk to Jason. So I did Jason Kohler, Executive Vice President, Senior Living for Bestag Properties. He has over 20 years experience in seniors housing, and he leads Tech's growing senior living division, working with design, development, operations, and marketing, the whole gamut. Wow. We are going to talk about the industry and what drives Jason, which is being genuinely interested in people and their journey to senior living. I am so glad to be back Let's jump right in. Jason, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Happy to be asked to join. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk with you.
0: Do you want to talk about yourself a little bit? And, um, sure, sure.
1: You know, I started, we'll go back a little bit. I started really in the hospitality industry and that kind of led me in a way into senior living, into seniors housing. I spent a long time um, as an executive director and then just kind of took, you know, the career path that led me to you know, regional director and then vice president and COO, CEO, et cetera. Currently, I am the executive vice president for BezTech companies. Uh, we're out of Farmington Hills, Michigan, and I run their senior living division for them. The company also has multifamily housing, um, lots of apartment complexes around the country and commercial development as well. But I run their senior living portfolio for them. And that's what I've been doing now for the last year.
0: Yeah, I have so many questions. Let's let's start with I know that you've gotten your MBA as well as your nursing home administrators license and many other very impressive degrees. Let's talk in numbers because you know I was just chatting with um, somebody that you know, was talking about doing a culture change, specifically around sales in senior living. And they were mentioning, well, you know, this is a really great person. They're not all about the numbers. And I said, well, well, I am all about the numbers. And it's just, it just matters which numbers right we're about yeah. so numbers are are beautiful data is beautiful and i want to ask you about quantitative data that's that's shown by certain numbers but also there's this other people data what people are doing how they're doing something what conversations they're having what is the nature of things they do that we count and so that falls into an area that I'm very curious about, which is qualitative data. You know, right now, the only way, not the only way, but one of the ways to show quality of a number is, and the number being how many phone calls you made, right? And that number is qualified, it's quantified by the amount of dials that, That we've made, but it's qualified by the length of that phone call, meaning it's a crude way of understanding whether there was engagement or not. And that is one qualifier to that quantity. Anyway, I'm talking a lot, but I just wanted to, I just went really, really specific and I wanted to stay a little broader, but let's come back to the numbers. If you could change anything about senior living, what could it be? Ooh, what would it be? Wow.
1: What would it be? That's a, wow, that's a, that's a big question. I know. That's a big question. I I mean, I don't know if I would, I would probably change the perception. <laughs> it probably wouldn't be so much what you I would made, change.
0: You uh, mean whose perception?
1: Yeah, the, the, the prospect or the general public, perhaps, um, you know, not so much what I would change within the industry, though, I'm sure I could come up with a short list of things there as well. But you know, I, I, I'm really proud of what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. And I think that most people who have worked in senior living for any length of time are are very proud of what they do as well. And, you know, we've had a problem, you know, in the certainly in the past of perception, Mm -hmm. you know, about what is it that that we do and You know, we haven't done a great job as an as an industry, though, I think, you know, many, many have have tried and have put forth the effort. I mean, it's not to downplay that, but I don't think we've done a great job overall of, you know, tooting our own horn or or sharing all of the good that has come out of um, providing care and assistance and uh, meals and programming and a a wonderful you know place to live and, and flourish you know, with the uh, general public, you know, you know, I think it's gotten better, I, I, but I still think, you know, and maybe it's because I've, I've been in it as, for as long as I have at this point, but I still think that there's room for improvement. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mentioned that my friends, you know, when, you know, they still don't grasp necessarily what I do for a living. Right. Mm-hmm. I tell them that I, you know, I operate, you know, seniors housing and they're like, Oh, you're in the nursing home business. My dad was in the nursing home, you know, and you know, that, that, that I would really love to change. And I think someday that it will, you know, it's be, certainly people have become more knowledgeable about it than ever before, but still uh, I think, yeah, I don't know if it's something that, that the biggest thing that I would change is probably the outside perception of who we are and what we do and why we do what we do. And Nearly everyone that I've ever met. I mean, I, I don't know that I've met anyone that, that this wouldn't apply to is in the business for the right reasons. You know, and if they're
0: not, they don't last very long, do they? Right. Yeah, true. Yeah, gosh. You know, that's amazing because I've been thinking a lot about that as well. And certainly, you know, I wonder yes, certainly there is a perception issue, and in the minds of many older adults, you know, they're still perceiving it. It's in their emotional molecular structure, in their memory of what it was like when they were young and their parents had issues and had to be put in one of those places that, that certainly will get better, you know, with the passage of time. And as the market understands and lives, and now multi-generations are living in communities, you know, where there are certain communities that have their parents and then their, their children move in and et cetera. And it's wonderful. And what we do is extremely heroic. It's, it's so inspirational. When I go into a nurse, a real nursing home, and actually, I get inspired by by residents, by the people. The will to the will to live in community and to belong is so strong, and if we can contribute to that, but but Jason, yeah. I was thinking this, you know, and I don't know what you think about this. I think at least in the area of marketing and sales and senior living, I think we have a lot of work to do. Um, at least I hope, because <laughs> I've made it my life, my life's work. And what I mean by that is I think we need to change, we and not all of us, but we need to change the perception we have of our market, of our prospect and not change, broaden, broaden that perspective. Let that market tell us more about who they are and what they want. Um, mm-hmm. Because my my impression is, and I could be wrong, that for, for decades, we've been You know, selling, first we sell the care and we care about you. And most of the marketing had to do with a caregiver, you know, embracing grandma and saying, we'll protect you. And that's certainly fantastic. But we perpetuated that image. Then we kind of moved on to the real estate. We have these beautiful, shiny communities and they look nothing like a nursing home. And that's great. But I wonder if we as an industry need to start looking at our market, not as defined by geographic areas and cohorts, but mostly about who is it that we're serving so that we can broaden who we serve by listening to them. And part of the perception that this is a place where I'll go and I'll be institutionalized. Part of that perception, we sometimes, at least when it comes to that first sales call, you know, I'm looking for, I've done so many mystery shops. Tell me if this resonates, but, you know, everybody will talk about their mission and they'll have very satisfied residents and everybody's just so happy once they move in and they cross that that fear bridge, so to speak. Yeah. But before that, there is this, you know, how old is your mom? What kind of care does she need? Because usually it's, mom, it's on behalf of mom, is I'm not really an interest, interested in finding out about mom, truly, because, you know, this is a place in which we're trying to build communities for individual people. Rather, uh, we ask very little. It's almost like we don't really care. And I know we care. We care deeply about people. But when it comes to our marketing and sales, I don't know where that caring went. Um, And that's evidenced by mystery shops. Um, I had a a colleague who was herself trying to, um, I think I read on LinkedIn actually, was going to look for her grandfather. And not a single question was asked about her grandfather. This is my grandfather. He has a story. I love him. You know, he used to be this and this and that. And Why? Why don't we take the time to actually know our market when they step up and say, "I'm considering a change." Yeah. What do you think? um,
1: A lot of that, you know, goes back to sales philosophy. I think, you know, that we struggle with this all the time, right? And that that's listening versus talking. You know, if you you've done a lot of mystery shops, I've done a lot of mystery shops, and what I find on the mystery shops is a lot of talking from the sales counselor or you know whatever you want to call that position community relations director etc there's a lot of talking on our on our end i think it's the, it's that approach it's funny because even when you talk to the uh, the associate the employee after you know after this mystery show, they'll, and you you're going to listen to the call and you ask you know so how how much do you think that you you know, talked? Was it eighty twenty? Was it sixty forty? Was it twenty eighty? You know, and they don't often just human beings. I don't think we realize how much we're talking versus listening. It's you really have to try to ingrain and train into that active listening, like that open ended question, and mm-hmm. then be comfortable. With a little bit of silence, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of silence, you know, because because what happens with silence is is someone's going to fill the dead air, mm-hmm. and really what you want is you want the prospect or the loved one,
0: you know. Yeah, to, you want to give, them, the space. Wanna give, them, give space. them space. You want to give them space. Give them space. So so let's go back to that fundamental why. You know, how do we? And again, I spent it seems like a lifetime now, trying to help people. And myself, starting with me, become a better listener. I have theories that have to do, number one, with how we're wired. You know, our brain is wired for for making sure I'm not wasting my time. And there's like this fear that, you know, I've got to get through this lead quickly and speed to lead. And I'm just going to do my job by recording what happened. Maybe I close on a tour. Maybe I don't. Um, I need to demonstrate to this person that's calling that I'm capable and I know my stuff. So I'm gonna start the data dump. I need to, it's I, 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 it's all very centered on me. There's a problem with that. And there's a place for, for where I make an analysis of what I learned and I sort of dissect and, and make a strategy around what I heard. But if I haven't listened, so I wonder if it's a, just a lack of curiosity about people you know, I was in the so-called trenches uh, for many years and some I was trained to, it wasn't, you need to close them for a tour. It's like, you need to learn about that person. And my, my uh, success in that call by my superiors was judged on how much I've learned about that person, how much connection, how much I've learned, or at least I heard about what that person was thinking, feeling uh, a little bit of their story. And and when you start measuring that, when you start saying, yeah, I don't really let go of the outcome of the call and, and focus on that person, but why is it so hard and how are you trying to change that?
1: Yeah, I, well, I think it's just that. It's, it, you said it right there at the end. I think it's being okay with letting go of the outcome. You know, and by nature, sales is selling, right? And there's this amount of pressure, I think, that is applied to salespeople, you know, mm-hmm. to hit their numbers. There's a lot of pressure in that position. And I think what happens with people, and this is, you know, I, I've learned this, is that when when pressure is applied, people attempt to close everyone, right? And when they attempt to close, when pressure's applied and they attempt to close, they talk. They talk a lot because it's their comfort zone. Their comfort zone is to talk about the company, talk about the community, talk about square footage, the dining program, et cetera. It's to, like, isn't this amazing? Don't you want to live here? You know, and I'm going to tell you all of this great stuff and i i think that gets it gets magnified with pressure because people fall into their comfort zone uh, you know pressure for sales is is pressure for time also That's getting into that argument of you know would you rather have 20 phone outs today of you know leaving messages and some of the conversations were 3 to 5 minutes or would you rather have or like
0: you know how's have
1: calls that lasted you know 30 45 minutes right I get that pressure, and then it becomes a numbers thing, and then they start talking too much. That's what I've. That's what I've
0: seen. Yeah, I think the accountability there goes to the leaders that are demanding, you know, that as soon as they panic, because they have to report results. I mean, there's pressure for results, no question. And yeah. uh, the, the what, what's what's astounding to me is that we're trying to generate results by actually speeding something up that by speeding it up, you're actually decreasing (laughs) decreasing your chances of closing anyone because the prospect is inherently resistant. And the minute that they feel, the second that they sense that you're giving them the spiel and trying to sell them, when they have so much ambivalence and so much unresolved uh, emotions and thoughts and conflicting thoughts in their head rattling around, that they're not yeah. they're you know they're not hearing it i'm making funny funny gestures with my hand right now so that's there but i mean the accountability of the leaders that say if we need five movements this month great so you suggest to me what is the best way that i can accomplish that and if i'm a salesperson which i'm very proud to be a salesperson we try to not say the word sales and yet we're selling 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 So imagine that instead of I need to make a sale, I, Alex, need to make five sales this month. If we said, I need to help people buy, people that are having a really hard time with a buying decision, I need to try to help them do that. And I can't do that with 100 people and I can't do that by sending 5,000 bulk mailings or putting them in marketing automation I have to do that by focusing on a few and really going deep, and I'm going to get yeah. my five movements, but only because I have let go of my outcome and became focused on the prospect's outcome. Yeah, okay, I'm just I'm preaching now. I'm preaching to you. I want to learn. No, from I'm you. with you. <laughs> no, um. <laughs> no, disagree with me. So, so how do how did you how do you change that about the industry? How do you you're a leader and and you have pressure from investors that say give me the numbers how do you generate those numbers
1: yeah well i mean i th- you know there's obviously yeah there's there's plenty of pressure to go around you know to hit numbers and you know, i think it is a responsibility as us as leaders that truly understand the sales process to really pay more attention to the work that is being done when we focus only on the outcomes, then salespeople focus only on the outcomes, right? And that's where that pressure comes in. And that's where all the talking comes in that we talked about. I think if we focus more on the work itself and the quantitative measures of what work is being done, mm-hmm. we know that putting in the time and effort and building trust and rapport and relationships with people will result in sales. You got to put in the work, you got to put in the time. And I think those are. You know some of the more important measures because it'll result in the move-ins. It flows that way, and we and we know that inherently. But I think. But that
0: why doesn't everybody do it if we know it? It's so funny because we all know it, right? And yet, we don't. Not you and I, obviously. We're we're fairly aligned in this, but the majority of senior living operators, when they look at sales and marketing, they don't seem to know that. Uh, or yeah. if they do, they play a little lip service to that. But bottom line is like, get as many people as quickly as possible, which then causes us to go hunting for the very urgent people and ignore, ignore the ones that say, I'm ambivalent. I'm not ready. I, I don't want to do this right now. We don't want to yeah. waste our time.
1: Yeah, I, I know. It's it's like throwing the the concession out there to to see if we can get five quick move-ins, right? It's,
0: yeah,
1: um, it's that old approach, but, you know, I don't know how you get others to recognize, uh, you know, other than, you know, education and living that experience and seeing it. I think there are several of us that have kind of grown up in the industry, if you will, to where we've, you know, served in all of these different roles, you know, so you know, I've done caregiving and I've cleaned rooms and I've, worked in maintenance and certainly have done sales and some business office work and a lot of sales, right? And so I know firsthand, I, I like to think I know firsthand what works and what's important and what, you know, we should be measuring. But I will say that, you know, for many years, I too, you know, focus more on the the results and the numbers that, you know, that, that data, right? The, the numbers of of how many phone outs, how many tours, how many move-ins, right? You, you stay focused on like these outcomes until you you do sit back and you analyze. Well, what's working? How well do you know these folks? And you know, have you been to their house or the the length of the conversations or, you know, in the CRM platform, the filling up the avatar. You know, like just getting an understanding of how well do you know. We know this from our own lives that people buy from whom? We say it all the time. People buy from home. They buy from those they know, like, and trust. We can repeat that. Everyone can recite that. We know that to be true. It is even more true in senior living, right? Mm-hmm. You're not choosing where to go on vacation that in five, seven days it's done. You're not choosing a new, a new car you're choosing to more than likely move out of your home that you've been in for 40 plus years that you've raised your kids in, downsize into perhaps an apartment
0: mm-hmm. in a
1: senior living community to live communally with a couple <laughs> hundred other people. Right? This is like a big life decision, and it may be your last move, right? May yeah, may not, but. Yeah. It's a huge decision. So if we know that people buy from those they know, like, and trust, and that's true with furniture and cars and whatever else, think about how much more true that statement is in seniors housing. They need to know you. They need to somewhat like you. You have to build rapport. They have to trust you, especially the adult child, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, and in a care situation, they have to trust you. So how do you build that? You know, you build it with rapport initially you build it with time spent you build it with you know energy and and time invested um and so that's why those measures are really really important i mean you're you we all have a story of uh they you know this person was a walk-in and they bought like wow you know but that's like a rarity you know that's like
0: you know, it even was. a blind squirrel sometimes finds a nut, but <laughs> yeah, there I mean, that's go. great. We call those bluebirds and we love them. That's fantastic. Although yeah. many times they turn to be a, a bit a, sometimes a nightmare for operations because there's so much we don't know. And all of a sudden we have a problem because we don't know them well. And then we may fail to, we just got really excited. And, you know, yeah. I mean, you it's and I probably have probably all these stories. Back. Yeah, and then all of a sudden we didn't realize that there was some underlying condition, et cetera, et cetera. I think that coming back to what we were talking about our market, we were programmed to sell care and shelter. What's your level of care? Here's all of our amenities. Here's what our apartments, square footage, blah, 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 shelter and care. And for 90% of our prospective residents, in most care levels, they're looking for a place of belonging. They're looking for a place in which they can preserve their identity and they can live in community. The care, the shelter, the socialization, all that comes as a package that we we support. But I like to think about the market as needing belonging and needing to preserve their identity and if we don't even ask about their identity when we first talk to them who are you who were you what are you proud of you know what what do you look for in the in your future what do you aspire to you know the questions that actually have to go to the core of a person's needing to belong uh, finding themselves for whatever reason, and all the reasons that we can enumerate that are the triggers, finding themselves not quite fitting in any, lo- any longer in their current life. And I am so desperate to help people understand that that's what most prospective buyers want. And if you go into the litany of the apartment and the features and things that you don't know me, and I don't know, you don't even know if I'm going to care about that. And we make all these quick assumptions because we have all this pressure from the powers that be that tell us results, results, results. So we wind up with people with higher acuity, giving discounts, fighting for that 5% that's ready to go and leaving all this opportunity, all this opportunity for people that are ambivalent about it. I, I heard this quote, which is applies to 90% 90% of our prospects in the thinking stage, right? Which says the first step towards getting somewhere is to decide that you're not going to stay where you are. The first step of getting somewhere. So most people, the people in what we call the thinking stage that are don't know whether they're going to make that, that move yet. They don't know whether they're going to be able to let go of their home yet. And it's subtle and it's really... There's a lot of sadness there, there's a lot of grief. We have to understand they haven't, we need to help them process this idea of letting go of where they are. And that's one way of listening for for that ambivalence. Then 30% of our prospects, that was 60. another 30% are saying, I have decided that I'm no longer, I'm going to have to start taking steps but I'm not ready yet It's that this is not the time, maybe next year, maybe whatever. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's more ambivalence. And then the people that say mom's getting out of rehab, I need to find a place I'm going to choose between you and your competitor, you know, um, talk to me. I think that's why we do the data dump because we're hoping we don't want to, we don't want to lose the opportunity to sell them quickly because we're afraid of losing them to the competition. Okay. So, (laughs) Are we in the business of shelter and care or are we in the business of building community, supporting people to live in community so that they feel a sense of belonging, of of being at home?
1: Yeah, well, I I certainly subscribe to the latter. Right. And that's what I, I hope that it is. And that's what I hope that our associates take it as, too, is how many how many people can we help to find their next home? where, you know, they're going to flourish. They're going to live, you know, happily ever after, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, kind of a vicious cycle. You know, when you pick the low hanging fruit, as it's often referred to, can be a vicious cycle. You mentioned earlier that, you know, they may not be a fit. You know, we don't really know that much about them. We've all had, uh, you know, (laughs) nightmare residents, you know, Yeah, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times you see that coming though. And by that, I just mean that they're not happy. We want all of our residents to be, you know, happy, very satisfied. At least feeling
0: that that they're, they're they're at home and sometimes they can be really cranky and grouchy, but they still feel like they're at home and sometimes just for a quick moving and we've all done it, I've done it and it didn't feel right. Somehow it didn't yeah. feel right. I knew it wasn't going to really work, but that's you know great. we got to have the move in and we've all been there and that's, that happens. Uh, it happens
1: in a turnover, right? And then you're, exactly. you're straight it, another quick move in, right? Yeah. And that's what I mean by the vicious cycle. It's better to, it's better to invest the time
0: you so, know, up front. So let's go back to those numbers that the industry is usually focused on outcomes, you know, and then the two things that the industry believes is going to generate move-ins, which are calls and tours. And you need to call someone to get a tour and then you tour them. And if those things don't happen, then there's no move-in. And they're extremely correlated, obviously. Everybody's gonna come and look and everybody's gonna have a phone conversation prior to making that decision. However, when you look at data and you say, okay, well, I'm getting two move-ins out of 30 tours or four move-ins out of 30 tours, I need eight move-ins, so what do I? I need to do sixty tours. I have a hundred, <laughs> right. you know. So, so it. The problem is that they're correlated, but they're not causative. You know, I'm not Correct. causing yeah. someone to buy because of the tour. I am causing right. someone to buy because I've helped them untangle their ambivalence as a salesperson yeah. in senior living. Yeah. So, so what you do
1: know, you, you can, do? Yeah, you can. You've got. You've got. Two ways of getting to where you want to get to with that equation right is you can you can uh double your volume or you can double your effectiveness i'll, I'll take effective you know um that's so cool yeah and oftentimes the volume just isn't there or it's unattainable you know or you can or, spend tens of thousands of dollars on marketing to potentially increase your your volume um, but, you know, if your batting average is that poor, you, it, you're just spending a lot of money. I'd rather I'd rather invest in, you know, the team. I'd rather invest in their training, you know, and in, in teaching listening skills and proper discovery and, you know, matching, you know, wants and needs, at, at problem resolution, identifying where they are in the sales process. Are they thinking, are they in denial, et cetera, and meeting them where they are and you know have a consultative approach as to how we how we help again you know it's about helping people you know i i would rather focus on that than you know have the 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 problem is how do we double our inquiry volume you mm. know because that 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 gets really tricky i'd rather close half of 20 tours than than uh three than of forty 20 out of forty tours right so <laughs>
0: Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more, obviously, but uh, again, tricky to do for all the reasons we said before. i want to I want to linger on what you just said because it's it's really important. So we're spending thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to generate more leads as an industry and looking for marketing to solve our occupancy problems and then yeah. looking for speed to lead you know, the more leads, the more, the quicker you have to go through them to find the ones that are ready to go. It's madness and it's producing poor results, low conversions and high acuity. And yes, yeah, so you know that as as a seasoned operator and yet that, tell me more about, so investment in training, couldn't agree with you more. Uh, What if we were to shift some of those marketing dollars to adding more salespeople, more sales time. You know, the the team approach, the fact that you have the luxury of time to go on that home visit because you don't have to, you're not crazy trying to respond to all these new inquiries and trying to, you know, do all the madness things that we do to try to speed up and accelerate, but rather say, here's a group of people we're gonna focus on as a team. I'm giving you the formula now, just tell me if I'm full of it. But, you know, we want to have at least two people in the sales office seven days a week. So therefore, we need to have three FTEs in a 150 unit building with any more than 10 vacancies. We need to do that and and to maintain it that way. And we need to invest in effectively working with the people that came to us for, for help. So, so the investment in one salesperson and then in properly training them and giving them the right tools and enabling them to all the things you enumerated, the investment is rather, it kind of dwarfs the investment that in marketing. And again, I'm not saying it, it, you shouldn't spend any money on marketing. There's always the healthy number of leads that, that is good to maintain, but most people have no clue what that is. If you have a 20% closing ratio you need 10 leads for no? I'm, I'm you check my math because you have an MBA and I don't. But how many leads per vacant unit do you need if you close 20% of your leads?
1: Yeah, you know, the I, I agree with you in that the, the money is better spent. You know, investing in people is always I mean, I, I think it's always the best investment, right? I mean, we're all, we always we always say this, too. We're only as good as our people, so we should invest in our people, and if we want them to spend more time, if we realize that people buy from those those that they know, like and trust and building a relationship with our prospects is one of the most important things we can do. They do have to have time to be able to do that, correct? Mm -hmm. So I agree Mm -hmm. with you. I think the struggle that I've seen is that there's the sense of urgency, you know, that that's an investment, that that's a little bit a, a longer, payoff than throwing dollars at, at the problem from a marketing standpoint or from an inquiry generation standpoint, or we're so concerned about our FTEs and our headcount, you know, and our salaries as a, as a metric against our, our revenue or et cetera, right? So, you know, our salaries and benefits are X percent of our cost of doing business. And we talk about it being, you know, our highest cost of doing business, which is which is true, but I think if you if you took the approach that you laid out, which by the way i do I do subscribe to, it's a longer it's a longer payoff, and the the question that I think leaders need to ask themselves is that, are you patient long- you know to to invest that way and patient enough to see the results, and are your investors patient enough to see those results? Mm-hmm. I think it does work. I mean, you know, we've got communities that. At my organization, where you know we have two salespeople and you know, we have about the same, you know, unit count that you had mentioned, say 150 apartment homes, and we've got a couple salespeople and we do seven-day week coverage, and we do look at their time in the selling zone. You know, we do look at their their home visits and how much time are they actually being able to spend, you know, with the prospects. And we want that to be good quality time. I think we've got it right at most of our communities in that regard. But you know, I've also not had it's not that I'm perfect. I haven't had it right, you know, ev- everywhere and and where I've worked and stuff. And I think a lot of that comes back to is this a long-term perspective we have on our investment or is this short term? And I'll be honest with you, and you know this, that some companies are short term, you know, mm-hmm. some companies are, you know, more more focused on on that, on the on the short term and and you know, probably especially, you know more more so true that the industry has matured and other other players and investors have come into the industry. And there's a there's a, you know a lot been a lot of investment, right, in the industry over the last few years. And I think that that's also compressed that um, you know, that timeline a bit of and, and patience, you know, if you will. so I,
0: I agree with you. so that executive patience, the the thing that has, you know, in the equation of our all the stakeholders, the investors, the operators, the marketing directors, the leasing counselors, the, the the one and the prospect, the potential customer, the paying customer, the one that is under the most pressure is the actual prospect. Their life is bad. I mean, they're not doing well. Otherwise, they wouldn't have picked up that phone. You know, they may be coping, they may, but things aren't doing well. Focusing on being able to help that person buy our product, understanding what senior living sales requires, that investment in the time spent with those people that are under a lot of pressure from life, they're aging, they need a place of belonging, they need to be listened to, and we're perfectly equipped for that. But when it comes to sales, if there's no patience in sales, you're going to get your what penny rich and pound foolish. And that investment, what I've seen is that it takes a bit to, to change that culture. But once you start this mindset of cultivation, of deep connection, with you know helping people resolve their ambivalence and bring them through advances to a close. It's a gift that keeps on giving because now you have a lead base that now for months and then for years has been worked in that manner. And you have people that will respond to that process, to that attitude from your sales teams in a way that you know you will have full buildings. If you focus on the speed to lead and trying to capture the urgent, Investors should know that long-term stays, the ACV per customer goes way down, you have all that turnover, and burnout from your staff. Absolutely. Salespeople, yeah. salespeople don't like to make 20 phone calls. They don't like all that rejection. I didn't. Yeah.
1: Anyway, yeah. I'm trying to make yeah. a
0: case. I, I don't know why I'm trying to make a case.
1: I, I can pick the opposite side and argue against you. If it was let's do bad.
0: that. Let's do that. No, that's what I want.
1: Why don't you please? We're in, we're in too much agreement here. So. I know that's
0: that makes me uncomfortable. That's <laughs> uh, I have experienced how that works and how well it works and how um having a mature culture of really ve- being very centric on the customer in the sales, in the sales arena and marketing arena really produces better results. It's easier to just spend a bunch of money in marketing and feed through it and have people you know, try that. Why not? It yeah. just seems, seems less, it, less messy. I,
1: I think once you've, once you've come through that realization and have, you know, made a culture shift and invest in your people, invest in your platform, in your systems, in training, and you, and you have that sales philosophy that we talked about, once you go through all of that, I, I got to be honest with you, I, don't, I can't see doing it another way. You know, because I remember the days of you need 40 phone outs, you need this many to I, rem, you know, I was like, I was that guy.
0: How did it make you feel?
1: Stressed, <laughs> stressed, you know, and so you've got to know that, you know, as a leader, your team is then stressed as well, right? And it, like I talked about earlier, when, when stress and pressure are applied, that's when that's when you get the phone calls, uh, just checking in on you. How are you doing? And and you know that's not that's not helping the the prospect and the prospect then sees you as a pushy salesperson. They know, you know exactly you're
0: what you're calling. Yeah, they, know what can, you're doing. they know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah just checking in. Just want to see how mom's doing. Yeah, no, honey. In. Yeah, just checking in. See if you're ready yet. <laughs> you know, I know it's not going to get
1: you anywhere. But I will say this, you know. So to to be a little bit of a contrarian is that you know I do think that there has to be a balance though, right? You and we're not saying this, but you can't sit there and, and let the phone ring either. Oh, you God, know. no. You know, so there's a little bit of a balance between productivity. You know, you need to be productive as a salesperson, but it needs to be quality, right, is what we're really saying. It's got to yeah. be high quality, high level, high touch, emotional intelligence, active listening. It has to be all of that. It can't be quantity over quality. But there still has to be a minimum oh, 100%. You know, productivity. Yeah.
0: Sorry, I have to completely agree with you because you know many people think that uh, oh, this touchy feely approach means like you're just gonna let people whatever, just talk about their story and oh sure, honey, bring me some cookies and come over to the house, we'll chat. And you have an advanced you haven't done anything. What happens when you actually dig in, understand people's motivators and objections, understands where they're at in the process, then you do a planning session with your team. You have all these different strategies and you think about all these different possibilities. All of a sudden you're generating so much activity that comes out from the problem you're trying to solve for the person rather than quotas that are dictated. But you should see a sales office in which you did three case studies in the morning and now you're deploying you have so many things to do because you you need to do three or four creative follow-ups for that person and then the other person and then somebody's going on a home visit and then you need to go get the and the the activity generated is is huge and what's important is that when the phone isn't ringing you are generating those things that are there's four things that you can do in the selling zone, right? You can call voice to voice and that involves you and the prospect, whether it's a text or an email or whatever. It's an interaction between two, then the live interaction face-to-face. But creative follow-up and planning are things that you do, they're not reactive, they're extremely proactive. And those two yeah. things actually generate more encounters. You have to drive activity. And and by the way, I want to qualify the relationship building. I've learned a lot about how do we speed up the identifying the points of ambivalence for our prospects. You know, some people say, well, they tell me over here that I need to just learn their life story and go take them cookies. That's not going to help that person. My friend, friend Casey Jackson, says it all the time, resolve their ambivalence. As a matter of fact, you may just say, you know, yeah, come on over because I'm lonely but you haven't achieved anything. You haven't advanced that sale. You haven't helped that person get out of the hole they're in. So we need to get better through training and training our sales teams to identify where's the point? What are they ambivalent about? Are they ambivalent about timing? Not now. Are they ambivalent about leaving their home versus uh, staying in their home? What are their objections? Is it something that they, what do they value? And if we can get quickly to that, we can close quicker. We can, we can decrease the sales cycle length.
1: You know, I, I, I liken it to that. I probably said it enough times is, is helping, you know, is helping people. I think that's mm. really what it's all about, you know, so you talk about unraveling and figuring out what are they ambivalent about, you know, and then helping them through that. I think that's really important. I think that's, it's what makes our, our sales positions unique too, right? You know, you look at solution selling and some other, you know, processes and stuff. And and um, I don't know, ours is just so important because we're really helping someone
0: it really change is.
1: their life, you know? And I think we should treat it as such, right? That
0: Thank we you. We need to,
1: yeah. We're, we're adding to...
0: six or seven years to somebody's life if they move in, yeah. you know, before they have to
1: a lot of the objections are smokescreen, you know, HubSpot reported like 42%, I think of, of salespeople think of dre- uh, addressing those objections, you know, involving urgency and price are the top challenges that they face. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and and I think we know differently in seniors housing, like if you really drill down on it, like the the urgency and the price is usually not really the objection. I mean, how many times, you know, we we joke right in the industry that uh, you know number one objection is what I'm not ready yet. I'm yeah, yet. not ready yet. And then when we talk, we just did a, a a lot of resident testimonials and we filmed the resident testimonials, and they were just beautiful, like tear jerking, beautiful. Oh my goodness, you know, like. If you ever wonder whether you're making a difference in someone's life, you know, we need to share those resident testimonials with all of our associates, right? They were amazing. And I think every one of them just about said, I wish I would have made the decision
0: sooner." Yeah.
1: Right. You know, and so really is, how you know, that I'm not ready yet is a little bit of a smokescreen, but getting at what you said is- It's a big one. The root of the ambivalence, right? And helping them through that because we know what the other side looks like.
0: You know, by validating the fact that this is scary, by saying, you know, this must be really, really difficult. What is something else in your life that you've done, Mrs. Jones, that was really difficult? Prospects have talked to me about quitting smoking or saying, you know, I'm so glad I did that, but at the time it was really, really hard. But you can do it if we don't give people agency and involve them in conversations in which they can examine their own strengths to make a better change for their lives. If, if we, can, we can train our people to do that, we can get better. I mean, we, we haven't cracked the whole code yet, but senior living sales, is such a special, momentous amount of, you know, we we uh, the benefits are so humongous that doesn't it require for us to really invest in sales and in in our salespeople so that they can help people move sooner? And it happens; it can be done. Yeah, of course, there's smoke screens. It's like, honey, I don't want to talk about moving. I'm scared to death. That's too expensive yeah. over there. no uh, not. Or, not or, yeah not financially qualified. Yeah. Let me move on to the new lead because marketing is getting us a bunch of new leads and they all have similar objections and their concerns. Their concerns uh, as my friend, uh, um, Anthony Yanarino talks about, he doesn't like to use the word objection. He says they're concerns, right? They're real concerns. I may run out of money. I don't know what to do with all my stuff. I'm not ready to leave my home. These are really real, they're not objections to us and we need to do a better job at selling it. They're real human concerns that someone that's in their 80s facing this change is is going to be concerned about. We need to validate it, not fix it. There's no fixing the fact that I'm gonna be scared to death of not belonging, of, of having to get rid of things that are valued to me. Of course you do. Of course, you yeah. will have to do all those hard things.
1: Whether fear of of, being, of fitting in, you know, I, you yeah. know, the, it's it's it is communal living, you know, you know the objections come too, and I'll call them objections because they certainly Fine. come when you when you try to close too soon. Of course, right? happy you talk about a smoke screen. Oh, I can't afford this. <laughs> I'm out of here. and it's because. You get that high-pressure salesperson that's probably up against a quota that's trying to get their fifth move in for the month so they can hit their extra bonus or whatever it is, right? We can all detect when someone's trying too hard. We can detect pressure. You know, we can detect someone who has what I call commission breath. Um, <laughs> you know, you meet that resistance. You you know you 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 give it you give it back. That's your defense mechanism. So it's much better place of having a genuine interest in people, have a genuine interest in the prospect and then trying to help them, whether that is to live with us or that is to live somewhere else, or that is to stay at home with, yeah. with, with care, we should, we should be in the business of helping these folks and it will come back. You know, you, you get what you give in life. I believe that firmly. And I think that you know, if you help someone and and they live a better life due to the assistance that you've provided, it will come back, whether that's a referral, you know, to someone else, or that's a good word that I've had a, a great, you know, um, I had a great experience at this community, food's fantastic, it's a good review or, you know, referral, etc. cetera, it, it will come back to you, I think. It
0: will. And not only that, I think, again, we're trying to we're shooting to close someone by putting pressure for the tour or for the close. And we need to equip we we do equip sales counselors with options to to create small advances, small advances, a commitment that could be as simple as, you know, uh, is it OK for me to send you something? Uh, would it be OK for? my executive director to give you a call I understand that you're not ready to make any decisions right now I respect that you you know this is a long process but there's always something that you could do to help that person take a very small step in that in that bridge of fear so it's not as though you're not going to try to help that person in that phone call you know you are trying to create an advance because if they call you they need to do something eventually right if they call you something's not working and they're not going to tell you that if you try to sell them they will gloss yeah. it over anyway um i love to hear myself talk so i'm gonna stop talking but jason do you want to give a little plug to your communities yeah. happy
1: to sure. so as i mentioned i'm with best tech companies Um, And we're probably mostly known in the senior living space for our All Seasons brand, very nice, you know, higher end luxury senior living brand, mostly independent living, but we do offer assisted living and memory care and we operate in in a few different states. And probably like everyone else, we are always hiring bright, talented people. So
0: you're a great leader. Uh, You inspire many people. And I think that you're, you're attempting to create a culture that many salespeople would enjoy, where they get to actually know prospective residents and help them through their decision-making journey. So thank you, Jason. And um, we will hopefully talk again soon. Thanks so very much. It's been a pleasure.
1: Hey, thank you, Alex. It has been a pleasure as well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So that was Jason Kohler of Best Act Properties Senior Living Division. I loved this conversation and I'm really encouraged by people like Jason who knows the market, who is seeking to always understand what older adults actually want from us, from the sales experience and ultimately their entire journey through senior living. So thank you, Jason. If you want to hear more episodes or watch one of the Ask Alex webinars, visit us at sherpacrm.com there you can also find out about this year's culture starter training in st louis we'll have one in clearwater and seattle stay tuned for the next episode and until then stay heroic